Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning or good afternoon, wherever you are tuning in from. So my name is Angeline Constantino. I am the founder, coach, and podcaster of Let's Break the Silence with Angeline. So welcome to my podcast. New episodes are available at www.letsbreakthesilence.com. And please like and subscribe to my podcast on Anchor FM, Spotify, Google, Apple, and all the other live streams. So before we get started, we have an amazing guest today, my very good friend, Terry Kozlowski. I had the pleasure of meeting her and connecting with Terry on social media. So let me just dive right into it. We're going to have an amazing conversation about um, empowerment and what a great way to start a Monday. So this is season three, episode two of my podcast, Let's Break the Silence with Angeline. So um, Native American, Terry Kozlowski is a certified coach, blogger, the author of Raven, Transcending Fear, and founder of Soul Solutions. She specializes in empowering women by teaching them to set personal boundaries, reframe their stories they tell themselves, overcome their fears, and push past their limiting beliefs. Part memoir, part self-help guide, Terry's book is a raw and personal story of diving deep into childhood trauma, dealing with the terror before ultimately um, getting comfortable. So without further ado, what I would like to do is I would like to bring on Terry. Good morning. Good morning, Angeline. How are oh, you this today? I am doing great. I am doing great. We have some snow on the ground. We got that snowstorm. Yep. So we have about four inches of yep. snow. We had a dusting last night, but right now we're clear up here in Woodstock, Georgia. So, okay, okay. Oh, well, that's good. Mm -hmm. That's the benefit of living down south. It is. Things go away <laughs> quickly. <laughs> well, that's something I need to work on. Is to move <laughs> Be a snowbird in the winter time. So Terry, I am so glad that um, I'm so glad that you are a guest on my podcast today because your story is truly amazing. And I remember when we connected right before we scheduled the podcast, people would like to know who is Terry? Where did she come from? What happened, you know, during your childhood and how did you, you know, make that transition into who you are today? Okay, well, Terry Kozlowski uh, came into this earth school as a very vibrant, very aware child connected to spirit, like all children do. And we come in knowing who we are, absolutely knowing that we're supposed to love and we have a purpose. And we get into the earth school and discover our first unknown, which is our family. And our family comes with its own set of baggage, their own preconceived notions, and then they put upon children what they dream of for themselves. And some families are wonderful and some families are not so wonderful. And I had a really good father and a really bad mother. Mm. And when I was uh, 11 years old, uh, my parents had divorced when I was eight. My dad got custody and we went to visit my mother because um, my dad got custody of us uh, for the summer and when I was 11 years old. And during that period of time, she wasn't, uh, had supposedly stopped drinking. She did not. She had graduated from being alcoholic to being a drug addict. Oh, my gosh. And uh, we were visiting with her. And the first two weeks of the visit were lovely. And some of the best memories I have of my mother occurred in those first two weeks. Mm -hmm. And then she started drinking. And 
you know, I look back and try to figure out why she started drinking. Was it the stress of having my sister and I with her? What exactly was? And what I realized is when we start trying to analyze why our parents or why the adults in our lives do the things they do, it really takes us into a spiraling of worthiness that has nothing to do with us. My mother was an alcoholic, had nothing to do with me. That was her issue and her problem. It affected me in very terrible ways, but it wasn't, I wasn't the reason that she was drinking. So during the visit, um, after we're about four weeks in, she started partying really heavily and my codependency when she was living with us at home kicked in. I was pouring drinks for the guests. I was, as they were passing out, covering them up. Um, when my mother threw up, I clean up her mess, all those things that children of alcoholics do. They, they, they become the role reversals occur where I became the caretaker of my mother. And on top of all this, I had a sister who was with me who is 11 months younger to the day. So she's 10. And I was always told by my father to take care of my baby sister. So as things are becoming downgrading in how we're being handled and take, being taken care of, me taking care of my baby sister was one of those things that kept me moving forward and dealing with the situation. Uh, one night the partying got really bad. Everybody is passed out. And um, my sister is, is asleep and she's not waking up. And uh -oh. she didn't wake up for three days. Oh, my goodness. Uh, somebody drugged her and she just basically slept. I was aware enough and had presence enough that I would actually um, put my little head on her chest to listen to her breathing and feel that she had a heartbeat and that that was steady. Um, so I had enough presence to, to do that. But that night after this big party, my um, I woke up with a gag in my mouth and um, my hands and feet being held down. And th my mother allowed three men to rape me so she could have drugs. <gasps> And oh, while she watched, she watched in the corner of the room. Now, I don't remember that she was watching for a couple of years. That was one of those saving graces that your childhood egoic mind goes into to try to protect you and just deal with as much as you can handle. And my little brain could not handle everything that was happening. My mother disappeared for three days and my sister finally woke up and my mother reappeared like nothing had happened. And we go to the grocery store. And when we come back, my sister and I go to the grocery store. When we come back, my mother is standing outside the efficiency apartment with our suitcases on the stoop. And she told us it's time for us to go home. And she goes back into her apartment, locks the door. And it was from that moment, I did not see my mother again until my wedding day. And when was your wedding day? I was 21. So 10 years later. 10 years uh, later. Yeah. So, oh my goodness, we are now stuck on the streets of Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, home is in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So we, I'm trying to figure out what to do. Uh, we make a phone call to my dad, and my dad has us on a plane the next morning uh, to back to Pennsylvania. I get off the airplane, and I tell my dad that I need therapy. I'm 11. It is in the a early 80s. Um, I shouldn't know what therapy is, number one. But uh, more importantly, I want to say that when you are aware enough to ask for help, 
there's there's strength in you to ask for help. And a lot of children, number one, don't ask for help and adults don't ask for help. And it really is a sign of strength when you are able to ask for help and know that you can't handle something. Get off the airplane, ask for help. And uh, we get off the airplane on a Saturday evening. I'm in therapy Monday morning. So I was in therapy um, from that Monday morning until my, until I turned 18. And sadly to say the therapy in the early eighties was not necessarily all that beneficial because of Mm -hmm. several things. Number one, people did not really think that children were sexually traumatized um, back in the early eighties. That wasn't something, right? you know, uh, physical abuse to children, maybe, but not sexual abuse. So the therapist didn't even know how to talk to me on, we never, in the entire time I was in therapy, I never talked about the rape. We talked about abandonment issues with my mother. We talked about Mm -hmm. uh, my my dad remarried. And so we, there were si- step siblings and blending of families that was occurring. We talked about that. Um, and I learned an important and invaluable lesson, which was people want you to be okay. And if you act okay, they leave you alone. So I acted okay. Mm, okay. Because it, if you're not okay, what happens? They surround you, they ask you all kinds of questions and you don't know how to respond. At 11, I didn't have the language to be even even to tell the therapist that I was sexually assaulted. I don't at 11. I don't in the early 80s at 11. I didn't know what sex was. See. Okay. so how do you explain this is what happened to me when you don't know what it is? When you don't know what it is, then you feel like you're being put into a corner because everyone will start asking you questions. But meanwhile, it's stirring up inside of you. You're pretending you're okay, but you're not okay. Correct. And on top of all that, once you do find out exactly, oh my gosh, this happened to me, then there's a whole level of shame that comes in. Mm -hmm. Now, this is shame that is put upon you. This is not shame that that is from guilt because you did something wrong and you knew you were doing something wrong. This is something about because, shh, it's a secret. We're not going to tell anybody this happened because although my mother never acknowledged it until I was much, much older, her best friend who was with her and helped instigated all this did have several conversations with me, one before I left New Mexico from the visit and then two on the telephone where when we got back that she was watching and if I told my sister was going to get hurt. So at 11, you believe these things. So... So it was shame put upon me by somebody else wanting to keep the secret. And when we start telling the secret, now I was almost 13 before I said out loud to somebody that I had been raped. And when I did that, the shame started to melt. Because when you release that secret, the shame can't stay. It's, it's bringing light into the dark places. And it's very, very important that we do that. Even if, you know, a lot of people that I've helped in, in my coaching business have been um, those women who had um, sexual assault in college, date rape. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, you know, well, I was wearing a mini skirt and a tank top and I said, so 
you know, they, they put upon themselves blame and they pick up the shame because it happened to them and they could have prevented it if they weren't there. And that's what I try to get people to understand is rape isn't about sex. It has nothing to do with the victim. It has everything to do with power of the person wow. doing the assault. And right. it's a mindset that is hard to wrap your wrap around when you are stuck in victimology. Now, I was stuck in victimhood for for a long time and I get to college and I'm still a victim and I have triggers that I know I have. So, for example, um, the biggest one I had is if you came up behind me and tapped me on the shoulder, I came around with a fist because I was going to hit you because nobody was going to touch me. So I was very careful about it. So for if you were my friend, I would let you know, Angeline, hey, please don't come up behind me and startle me like that because I don't want to hurt you because it scares me. So I would tell you that without having to tell you that I had trauma. But that way you wouldn't do it and we would not have an altercation and I wouldn't try to hurt you and you wouldn't think bad things about me. So I would tell this to my friends. And in college, I had uh, a male friend tell me that I got something out of playing the victim. And I got very angry with that because who are you to tell me anything about my victimhood? And but something about how he said it, because he didn't say it out of malice. He was saying it out of awareness and caring and wanted me to see <coughs> and take a look at how I was perceiving who I was. And I realized that, yes, I did get something out of being the victim. As long as I stayed the victim, people walked on eggshells. People were very careful with me. People left me alone. And I wanted to be left alone. Now, here's the real kicker. Any, anybody who's ever had trauma, anybody who's ever been depressed, the absolute positively worst thing you can do is isolate yourself. I agree with you. Because what happens when you isolate yourself? You listen to one voice and that's the egoic voice in your head whose job it is to protect you. So it's going around telling me, watch out for Hispanic men because number one, those were the, his, the three people that um, molested me. Number two, watch out for men in general. So there, watch out with people with dark hair. You know, there's all these things that my ego is telling me and it took years for me to realize that not every man, not every Hispanic person is going to harm me. And the reality is in the course of my life, I had three Hispanic men harm me. That's it. Okay. And those were the three rapists. Other than that, nobody else, no Hispanic man has ever harmed me. So why am I judging a whole group of society based on one event in my life? And that's what the ego does is that it keeps that for, in the forefront of your mind that you need to be afraid of Hispanic men. You need to be afraid of men. You need to be afraid. You need to be fearful. You need to be afraid. You need to be fearful. And that's what the ego uses us to keep us stuck in trauma, keep us stuck in victimhood, to keep mm -hmm. us stuck in depression. Because depression is looking and staying and living in the past. Anxiety, which is the 180 of that, is looking and living in the future and being scared of the future. And the way to get over that is to be in the present moment. In the present moment, Angelina and I are having a fabulous conversation and everything is fine. Everybody's safe. 
Exactly. Exactly. So fast forward. So you know what your story, I can see why your story has inspired so many people. Thank you. And why you've helped so many people. So how does one break out of that trauma bond? Because I read a lot about it now. And I know when you were talking about your therapy, that it really wasn't talked about then. So what are the strategies that you've implemented? The main one, um, there's two. The first one I had to implement was learning how to set personal boundaries. And I had to learn to do that with my mother because uh, my mother would call and she would berate me. She would, especially when she called and she was drunk. I was the reason that she was an alcoholic. I was the reason she and my dad divorced. I was the reason that she no longer had her children in her life. So she used, she blamed me and 11, 12, 13, I believed it. So I had to learn to set a personal boundary in place. So at about 13, I had a mental breakdown because I ended up having one of these conversations with my mother. And I realized I started screaming at the top of my lungs. It wasn't, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. And it ended up being that my dad put the first personal boundary in place, which is my mother couldn't call me anymore. Um, but as an adult, that changed because, you know, as an adult, you still, a little girl, always wants things to be better with her mother. She doesn't want that bond not to, doesn't not to have that bond. And for me, um, it was the first boundary I had to put in place and putting personal boundaries into place is not something we're ever taught how to do. And if you look at your childhood and you had that uncle that came up and squished your face and kissed you all over that made you so horribly uncomfortable. And your mother or your grandmother told you, you let that be. He's just loving on you. Those personal boundaries that we think we're, because we feel uncomfortable, we can't even say. Because mm -hmm. when we do, we're told, it's okay. He's just loving on you. When the reality is, if it makes you uncomfortable, then you, you know, it shouldn't happen. It shouldn't happen. It right. shouldn't happen, period. So, Personal boundaries are something that we as adults have to figure out how to implement. And if it makes you feel uncomfortable, you should put a personal boundary in place. If you are saying yes to something that you're really not wanting to do, you're harming yourself and you're harming whoever you're saying yes to because you're not being fully present and wanting to be involved in whatever you just said yes to. So personal boundaries is an act of self-care. And that's one of the first things I had to do with my mother was learn how to put those into place. But the main thing that I started dealing with was reframing the story I told myself. And I when I started um, going down this road and realizing that we are our worst enemies when it comes to trying to heal. We are our worst enemies when it comes to the fact that we keep playing tapes in our head. Mm. And, you know, I have one tape that my mother of my mother's voice and she died and I still kept hearing that tape. And I realized, dang it. I'm the one pushing the play button on this tape. She's dead. She's been dead for how many years? She's not in my head anymore, but this stupid tape is. Let me learn to erase the tape and record over it so that there's a new story. When I press that button and that tape plays, it's something positive for me instead of negative for me. Exactly. And that, and that's what I mean by reframing the stories we tell yourself. 
So instead of saying I am a victim of childhood trauma, I'm a survivor of childhood trauma. That one word really gives a powerful statement to myself to say I have overcome this. And I went to New Mexico. So I went the fateful trip to Mexico when I was 11. I went back one time when my, after my son was born, my sister was moving out West to live with my mother. And I had gone with my son and cause I didn't want my sister driving across the country by herself with uh, her 10 month old baby. My son was 18 months old and I thought, okay, this will be an opportunity for my mother to meet her grandson. And I made my sister promise that not to tell my mother that I was coming mm -hmm. and, because supposedly she was sober. So we get there and she is sober and we spent uh, 20, 36 hours with her before she started drinking. And when she started drinking, my son and I left. Wow. So I, she did get to meet my, her grandson and the nine. So that was in 92, 93. And then in 1996, I took a trip to Alaska, which is where my mother is from wow. and to meet her side of the family. And that was the last time I saw my mother was um, in Febu February of 96. Um, and then she died in 2012. So, oh, so I spent from 96 to 2012 where I didn't see my mother. Wow. So since I was 11, I saw her a total of um, three times. Once at my wedding, once when I went to visit with my son, and once when I went to Alaska. Oh, my goodness. Wow. What a story. I can't imagine anyone going through childhood trauma, but there are, especially women, you know, going through that childhood trauma. So what were the strategies? So you went from, you know, victim to Victoria, you, you learned how to reframe. And that's what I did too. Mm -hmm. Reframing your stories, meaning Correct. I am thriving after domestic abuse after 11 and a half years. Correct. Instead of playing the victim. So what were the strategies that you implemented? So one of the things that we all do um, as victims of trauma is that we, there's a certain amount of um, we put on a blanket, we get all snuggly in a blanket. And what we don't realize is sometimes this blanket is quite painful. Mm. And because we put on those defense mechanisms whenever the abuse occurred. So um, a good analogy for me to explain this is um, you're, you come into this world with a software version uh, 1.0 and about every 10 years you should upgrade. So when you get to, you know, so you, you come in fresh with zero at 10, you should have 1.0 at 20, you should have 2.0. The issue is when you have trauma, a lot of times you get stuck in that version of software. So even when I was in my twenties and my thirties, I was still on Terry 1.0 because that's where I got stuck. And Terry 1.0 at 11 years old did not have the language, did not have the coping mechanisms, did not understand what defense mechanisms were. And my ego took over and allowed me to, did everything it could to protect me. So mm. it put up walls and armors and barriers and masks. And we put on all these things. And what we don't realize is that's our um, blanket. 
That's the cozy blanket we wrap ourselves in. And what we realize over time is it gets very, very heavy. And I well, think everybody at some point goes through what I call a midlife crisis where they realize that that blanket is harming them because they're pretending they're not being who they authentically came to earth school to be. So at some point they say, I hate this. I hate myself. And we need to, I need to make a drastic change and they do crazy things and start taking off these masks and armor. But for mm -hmm. me, I realized it along the way that I needed to take off the thorny blank because I couldn't handle the mass and the armor pretending because when you pretend that you're okay and you're really not, you know, right. you have to, you have to be able to walk through and deal with the why you're not okay. And without doing the work of going through and dealing with, okay, where did this mindset come from? Well, why do I think I'm unworthy of love? Well, I understand why I'm unworthy of love. My mother couldn't love me. So who else on the planet can love, love me? So we have to walk through these things that because of my mother, it's not that my mother didn't love me. She didn't love me the way I wanted to be loved. There's a difference. Right. She can love at the level she could love. And she could only love at her pain level before she drowned it in alcohol or substance abuse. And if we understand that not everybody can love us the way we need to be loved. My mother could say I wanted a mother to love me, period. She couldn't do it. So I can't blame her that she couldn't do it. But me spending my life suffering because I have ideals and expectations that somebody cannot fulfill. Right. Is, is my issue, not my mother's. I'm the one that has to change my perception. I have to change my mindset about who I wanted my mother to be versus who my mother is. It's about accepting the situation as it is. Accepting my mother as an alcoholic, as a drug addict, as somebody who did not put her daughter's best interest before her own. And something mm -hmm. that I struggled with because I can't imagine as a mother myself not putting my son's best interest before mine, you know, as a parent. Yeah. But that's not what my mother ever did. So that was part of the struggle in the healing process is realizing that I am not my mother and my mother is not me. And I have to separate myself from who she is and accept that she is what she is and that she has her own trauma and her own pain that she had to deal with. It has nothing to do with me. And her healing or not healing, because she never did heal before she passed, has not is a completely separate thing than my healing. My healing is not connected to hers. And that is part of understanding that we have to separate ourselves from everything else and understand that who we authentically are in our healing journey is just that. It's ours. It's exactly. nobody else's. Nobody else can take it with us. We can take somebody's hand and they can support us through the process, but we have to take that journey. We have to take that step, one step in front of the other. I agree. Absolutely. Put one foot in front of the other. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So I have another question. So how, what came how did you end up writing your book? What was the <laughs> I always like to call it like it's, like, it's sort of like, how did you start your podcast? What was that epiphany? So the book 
came about, if you would have asked me prior to 2018 about me writing my story, it was not just no, it was hell no. It was nothing I ever wanted to do. It, I had been asked from the time I was 22 years old about writing my story. And it was like, no, no, no. In the summer of 2018, right before I turned 50, I got pregnant with the book. And what I mean by that is I sat down at the computer and typed and typed and typed and typed and typed. I typed 170,000 words. Wow. My book is only about 50. That's how much paring down I did. Um, and what it ended up, I wrote it in nine months flat, but it took another two years to edit. Wow. Um, and part of what that editing process was, was realizing that it poured out of me. Things that came out of me that were, I thought were connected that ended up not being connected, but I had put my own twist on things because that's what our egoic mind does. It makes up things as we go along to try to make our narrative fit whatever the ego wants versus what is truly me, what is truly my heart's desire. And when I pare down the book to the 50,000 words that it is, it ends up being more understanding of an epiphany that I remember who I authentically am. And through this journey and through this healing process, that is what I actually became. Okay. Just because I had trauma doesn't mean who I authentically was ever went away. I was never broken. I was always whole. This is the difference. Mm. What I did was I covered up who I authentically was. I put on the mask. I put on the armor. I put on the thorny blanket. I put on the mm. um, all the self-defense mechanisms that we that the ego puts into place to protect us. That's the ego's job is to protect us. It is our job, however, to figure out is the ego really protecting us or is the ego harming us? Harming us. So there are ways the ego protects us. The ego will, you know, make you look up and look and see that there's a bus coming. So you don't, don't step out on the street. So, you know, that's their ego doing its job. We've had trauma. The ego is really about never allowing that trauma to occur again. And so it puts on all kinds of self-defense mechanisms that when we are 11, 12, 13, they work really well. But when we're in our 20s and our 30s, they are harming us and we don't realize it. So that's what I talk about the thorny blanket is that the thorny blanket is the self-defense mechanisms that we put on that when we first put it on, it did protect us. But as we get older, it hurts us. So we start to take the thorny blanket off. And what we don't realize is those thorns are now coming out of us. And now we have wounds, we have pus, we have a little blood, and it's uncomfortable. So we put the thorny blanket on back on because even though we're in pain, that pain, we understand and we know what that is. So we are aware of it and we're used to it taking off the thorny blanket is uncomfortable because it is unfamiliar pain. And what I mean by unfamiliar pain is the healing process is us going through and feeling and letting the pain go. If we don't recognize the pain and name it, then we can't release it. 
Mm. So exactly. my, my mother didn't love me enough to protect me. Dang, that hurts. That makes me sad. But that has nothing to do with me. That has to do with my mother. That is her issue, not mine. I therefore, that. therefore, I need to release that and not hold on to an attachment to my mother that is un that is painful for me and causes me to suffer here because I'm the one that's going through and playing that over and over and over again. My mother's living her life. My mother, you know, went on and got married and you know, lived a whole life and was did not consider whatever I was suffering from because I was suffering here because I wasn't, I wasn't telling her, I wasn't communicating with her because I had those personal boundaries in place to protect me from her. Right. And her. So as we go through life, it's understanding that we need to be able to go through and heal these gaping wounds, these pussy wounds, this bloody wounds, and understand that when somebody like Angeline comes along and rubs my back and says, it's going to be okay, she's touching a gaping wound and I flinch from the pain because that's mm -hmm. unfamiliar. Somebody oh. touching my wound and comforting me is unfamiliar pain. And then we shut down. We put the thorny blanket back on because we understand what that is. The healing process is a different type of pain. It's a different type of feeling. And because we don't know how to name that healing process, think, think about if you cut your finger. Okay. If you, cut, if you cut your finger and it's bleeding, you know, it hurts. You have to, you know, you put a bandage on it maybe and it gets infected because you didn't clean it properly and it gets infected. Now it's oozing and pussing and it hurts even more. But, you know, you put on it, you take the bandaid off and let it breathe. It scabs over the scab itches. So during a physical healing, there is all kinds of physical things that happen and feelings associated with it. And we don't think they're negative. We just know, oh, it's healing. It's healing, right. Exactly. But, but when it's an emotional wound and we're healing, we just think whatever that feeling that we don't like is, is painful. And that's not necessarily the case. Sometimes that feeling of healing is us releasing and letting things go so that we don't suffer anymore. And despite the fact that, you know, my abuse occurred when I was 11, when I was 50, I was still allowing things to cause me to suffer because of that experience. And at that point, at 50, that's my fault. That is not the trauma's fault because I've had, you know, I've had 40 years to, to deal with the trauma. And at some point along the way, when we shut down and we don't deal with things is when things fester and they come out in different ways, whether it comes out in the fact that you are overspending because you're trying to compensate for the fact that you feel unworthy or whether or not you are now overweight because you, you haven't eat, you're eating to comfort yourself. Because we stuff things, however we, you know, substance abuse isn't just about alcohol and cigarettes or um, drugs. It's about food or it's about how manipulative relationships are or withholding love or, you know, overcompensating and um, being overbearing with people. All these things are ways that we try to deal with what we're feeling. And the number one 
for me, the number one way that I learned how to deal with that was I got quiet. Uh, this is the other thing the ego doesn't like. Um, the ego wants you to stay fearful. It's its job to keep you afraid. But if you get really quiet and turn off the chatter in your head, which I, I promise you can happen. It took me a long time to do it, but it can happen. And you get quiet and sit with yourself and you will hear a little whisper, the little whisper of encouragement, the little whisper of your heart, the little whisper of your soul, giving you the answers to the questions you keep asking. And one of the big questions we ask is why? Why me? Why, why did this me? happen? Why, why, why? Why is the wrong question? Because why keeps you focused and stuck on the past? That's true. Whether it's five years, 10 years, 40 years, why keeps you stuck in the past? And if you change the, and this is, I had an epiphany um, earlier um, last year. I went to New Mexico for the first time with my husband and it was the first time that I went back on the healing side of my journey. And I'm getting, we're getting to the border and I'm thinking, you know, this is, Am I going to feel anything? What am I going to feel? And we crossed the border and I realized, ah, this is what full healing feels like. I have absolutely no anxiety. I know that I am whole at all the ego thoughts that I had about being broken and not being whole were lies because I've always been whole. So I am now fully healed and I know that I'm fully healed. That's good. That's good. And I realized on that trip that I had spent so many years asking why the why question that my dad told me when I had a conversation with him about what actually happened on that fateful trip. And I told him about the rape. He asked me, now what? Now, I am 12, almost 13, and I didn't understand the question. But looking mm -hmm. back, I'm like, wow, that was the answer. The universe gave me the answer that I needed from my dad when I was 12, which was now what? Now what means that you accept this is this happened. It sucks that it's happened. Right. It's sad that it's happened. But this happened. This is the situation. Now what? Now, now what are you going to do? Are you going to wallow? Are you going to go ahead and allow the allow ego to, to keep you depressed and focused on the why and focus because focus on the why means you're staying locked in the past and you're looking for something you will never find the answer to. And this is why you will not find the answer to it. It doesn't matter if my mother came to me now and was 100% honest to me with me and gave me an answer to why she allowed that to occur. It doesn't matter what answer she would give me. It would be completely unacceptable. There is no justification for her allowing three men to molest her daughter. None. There's just none. So the why doesn't matter. Because it's even mm -hmm. if she could give you an answer, it's unacceptable. Right. Why? Angeline, you had to suffer from domestic abuse. Doesn't matter why. It doesn't. Because, it, because the there is no justification for it. 
None. So if we focus on a question that even if we got an answer would not justify the behavior, we're focused on the wrong thing. Exactly. What we need to do is look at now what? That's the right question to ask. Now what? And guess what? If you actually get quiet and listen to the whispers of your soul, listen to the whispers of your heart, it will answer you as to now what? Because now what for Angeline is going to be different than now what for Terry. Exactly. And only within ourselves can we find the answer that we're seeking. Because all the answers we've ever needed and ever looked for in our lives, we already have within us if we just get quiet and listen. Exactly. We are the wisest person on the planet for our healing. And I agree. I agree with you. I agree. And I'm so glad that you brought this out in the open, which is why we're breaking the silence. Absolutely. <laughs> this is why we're breaking the silence. Mm -hmm. So we're coming up. It's wow. This is a great conversation. I mean, I could talk to you all day about this. Okay. So you've helped many people, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so how long have you had your coaching business? I've been doing the coaching for about two years. Um, and okay. it, interestingly, you asked about the podcast. So that's how the book came about. The book came about was I got pregnant with the book. I wrote the book and, you know, it got published, uh, traditional publishing and everything. So uh, that it came out uh, last year, Lunar New Year, because um, I believe in lunar cycles. They're they're fabulous. Lunar, right, right. Lunar, lunar New Year last year, it came out. And interestingly enough, while I was going through the um, editing process and the book contract and everything, my son made the comment to me that, and I had been blogging since 2019, that I needed yeah. to do a podcast. And I said, why? Why do I need to do a podcast? He said, because you would reach different people. You'd exactly. reach a younger audience. And um, so in August of, la of 2020, I started a podcast. So I've been podcasting for over a year now. I've reached my 75th episode aired last week. Wow. So I've been doing it for a while. Thank you. And I do reach a completely different audience with the podcast. And it's a much an interesting level. It's a much younger, much more educated set of women mm -hmm. than I would than I get with the blog. The blog reaches a very specific um, demographic as well, an older demographic. So okay. um, so I have the Soul Solutions podcast and uh, that has been going very well and growing uh, each month. So I'm excited to, to keep doing that. That is great. And where can people find you? Uh, the best place to find me is at terrykozlowski.com. From there, you can get to the blog, you can get to my book, Raven Transcending Fear, and you can get to the podcast, Soul Solutions. That's amazing. Amazing. Thank you. So everyone, so for those of you who are listening into the podcast, for those of you who are We'll be watching the replay here. This is the website to reach Terry. Thank you. Yeah. So I am looking, yes, I am looking forward to great things and collaboration. So the last question I have for you today is this. Um, what's a special message that you would like to share with the audience today for those who are tuning in and listening to the podcast today, my podcast today? Your, your podcast is about breaking the silence. And one of the things that trauma victims suffer from is shame. And the way to deal mm -hmm. with shame 
is to speak it out loud. And if you are too afraid to speak it out loud to a friend, speak it out loud to yourself. Start there. Shine the light upon and it will melt away. The darkness will melt away. And then find that one person that you can trust, that one person that you know will support you and tell them. And the moment you tell them, you realize something. It's really not as bad as you thought, number one. But more importantly, they're going to reach out and love you. And you're going to realize that the shame that had kept you hidden in the dark for so long is just that, a tool of the ego to isolate you. And the world is full of people who love and adore you. And you have to let them know. Break the silence. Come out of the darkness and find yourself in the light again and see that the world is waiting to love and support you. That's a powerful message. Thank you. Powerful message. Thank you so much, Terry. Thank you so much. That is so powerful. I'm literally shaking right now. But this is what we're here to do to break the silence. Absolutely. So, um, Terry, what I'm going to do is I'm going to end the live broadcast, but I'm going to put you in the green room for one minute. Okay. And, and then we will have a chat after. Okay. 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 Well, okay. Thank you. All right. So, Oh my God, ladies and gentlemen, if you're watching the replay, I encourage you to watch the replay. This is what a story that Terry shared. What an incredible story. So this episode, we are in season three. This is episode two. This will be uploaded on my podcast, which you can find on my website at www.letsbreakthesilence.com. And this episode will be uploaded this week. And please like and subscribe to my Let's Break the Silence on Anchor FM, Spotify, Google, Apple, and all the live streams. So I want to thank everyone for listening today and have yourselves a wonderful, wonderful day filled with many blessings. And we will see you on the next show. Bye for now.